0: Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the third week of our series, Beyond the Boat. This message comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. And if you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Uh, it's a very well-known story, many of you might be familiar with it, of the story of Jesus and walking on water and calling Peter out and, and him walking. And It's an incredible story, one that we may be very familiar with, and, but I'll tell you, it's, boy, it's so practical, so relevant uh, to the issues that we face in our life today. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up and to keep it open throughout our time to follow along with the story. But let me now begin by reading the passage we're going to look at, Matthew 14, starting in 22. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those, who in, the, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that we do have to be here this morning to worship you, to celebrate what you're doing. Father, now to be able to dive into your word and to see the truth that you would teach us for our lives Father, thank you for what you are teaching me, and I pray now that you get me out of the way, Father, that your spirit would speak through me and in spite of me, that, Father, that somehow you would communicate the heart of your word to each one of us that are here, and help help us each one to have hearts that are open to hear, to listen, to, 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 to embrace and respond to that which you may be teaching us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning we're looking at this well-known story about Peter, a man who faltered in his faith. I don't know about you, but, but I think that for me and for I think many of others, likewise, we're kind of drawn to this guy, Peter. And he's this guy that makes these great, great big promises and then often doesn't, uh, doesn't follow through. And we can see him on the one hand, we're going to see even in the story today, that he steps out in great faith and he, he does what no one else does only then to literally begin to sink along the way. And one of the things that's interesting about Peter is when you study all of the gospel, you realize that Peter actually wasn't his real given name. It was a name that Jesus gave to him. His real name was Simon. And Jesus gave him this name, this new name, almost a nickname, Peter, which meant the rock and uh and what's interesting in that is that there's almost an irony to that. It's not that Jesus was saying that that he was rock headed or hard headed It was like saying, no, you're you know you've got the the endurance and the courage of a of a rock." But the irony is it is that Peter doesn't always act in that way. I mean there are times that you see this tremendous courage and stead st- steadfastness, and sometimes you're in a sense he acts like Peter, and there are sometimes that's the total absence of it. It's almost you know, there is Simon. There's these two different people that are, were within him. So, for example, right before the crucifixion, you know, uh, Jesus talks about that he was going to be crucified. And, 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 you know, Peter says, you know, if everyone else denies you, I will never deny you. I will stand with you. You know, that's Peter. That's the rock. And yet only a couple hours later, when Jesus is being tried, you know, Peter denies him three times. That's Simon. Or here in this story, we see the disciples out there in this boat and they're fighting against a storm and, and they see Jesus on the water. And, and Peter's the one that says, you know, Jesus, if that's you, call me, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come out to you. And then that's Peter. I am a tremendous courage, tremendous strength. And, but then he gets out and he sees the wind and the waves and he begins to sink and that's Simon. He's got a fear side to him and a faith side to him. And what's interesting about Peter is that It seems to be that they're always on the extremes. He's never in the middle. And you see these two extremes, and that's what I think we can relate to him. I I would like to be more like the Peter side, but too often I have to admit that I'm more like the Simon. Now, what can we learn here from this story? We read it a few moments ago. We're not gonna be uh, put in a situation where we're asked to walk on water, but we're gonna see that there are some really practical things here from the story, from Peter's example, that God speaks to our lives that are incredibly relevant to what we all face in life. If we pick it up in uh, Matthew 14:22, and it begins saying, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now what's interesting is the word there immediately, that it begins this with, with this word that, that very intentionally ties what is about to happen with what has just happened. Last week, we looked at the story right before this and we saw it was a story of, of Jesus uh, feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 uh, men and probably 10,000 people with the women and the children. And, uh, and, you know, they had followed Jesus. They were in this really remote location and the disciples are looking at this and they're saying, hey, Jesus, you know, we've got 10,000 people here. There's no cities around. They, they need to eat. We've got a crisis. And, uh, and they were stressed because they didn't know what to do. And Jesus did this incredible miracle. You know, he said, well, what do we have? Okay, well, all we have is five little pita bread and two small fish. And and he does this miracle where he takes this small amount of food and he blesses it, he multiplies it so that it feeds 10,000 people. So they had just seen Jesus defy the laws of nature to meet a desperate need. And right after that, we read now in verse 22 that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side as he dismissed the crowd. I want to ask you something important. We're told there that, again, he made his disciples get in the boat, that it's something that he pushed them towards, and he's sending them to the other side, and we see here that that they now go into a storm. Do you think that Jesus knew that there would be a storm? Yeah, I think he did. When that means that he... He intentionally sent them into a storm that he knew that was coming. I think it's common for people to think that if we obey God, then God's path for us is going to be a path of blessing and and ease. And it's going to be all smooth sailing. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And it's not what we see happening here. Here they obeyed Jesus, but their obedience of Jesus brought them into a storm. There are going to be times that God leads us down paths that seem to be anything but a blessing. I know, I know some people that will teach, well, if you obey God, then it's all going to be good. But that's not biblical teaching. There are times that we will be obeying him and we're expecting smooth sailing. But next thing you know, we find ourselves in the middle of the storm. And this is important to understand. Because people who have this idea that, you know, God's only going to bless us if we do what's right. See, I've seen many people that have gone through that. And then they go through a period of crisis. They go through a period of loss. They go through an unexplained difficulty. And and there's an incredible, you know, uh, uh, crisis of faith, frustration. They don't understand. So we need to realize that, no, the Bible's really clear, that God will intentionally send us into a storm. And, And if we're in the middle of the storm, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of God's will. See, and the reason is this, the Bible is really clear that God's greatest desire for your life and for my life isn't that he would give us a, an easy life, a, a trouble-free life. That's not his greatest desire for us. It's, it's not that we would have all kind of material blessing. His greatest desire is that we would have a mature faith. His, his purpose is to grow us into a mature, rich faith. And he does that by bringing trials, by bringing us into various storms, Now, while we're in the storm, we may not understand it. It may not make sense to us. It will not feel like God's love. But the fact is, is that what the Bible teaches, it is actually an expression of God's love and his commitment to what's best for us. One place it teaches us is James chapter one. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now notice it doesn't say if, it says when. We all will meet trials. We all will go through storms. But it also tells us to count it all joy. That's, that's a thinking word, consider it joy. It's not a feeling word. See, a lot of people look, people look at that and say, well, the Bible calls us to be joyful. No, that's not what the Bible calls us to. There, we're in the middle of crisis. We're not gonna feel joy. Again, some people think that that's what the Bible calls us to. And, and so therefore, when they're in the middle of the crisis, well, if I had enough faith, I would be happy about it. And so they deny the hard feelings. They try to pretend And God, you know, it actually creates tremendous wounds. See, the Bible doesn't call us to feel joy. It calls us to know, to remember that in the midst of the crisis, there's reason for joy, even though we don't feel it. Why can we count it joy? Because we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or steadfastness and steadfastness when it has its full effect that uh, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. It's the testing of our faith, not testing to see if we have it, but it's in a sense, testing as far as strengthening. It's something that God is doing. He's putting us in fire to melt away the impurities. And he's saying, okay, here's what I'm doing is I'm trying to give you this this incredible rich faith and it's done through trial. And so intellectually we know, we can know that there's reason for joy because we know that God is in charge and he will only allow trials and suffering when he can use it for some good. It's not that God is the source of evil. He's not the source of death or pain, but in his loving sovereignty, he allows and even sends us into the storm for the purpose of growing our faith. Now, one of the reasons we can struggle with this is that sometimes people have a wrong understanding of what faith is, what is biblical faith. A lot of times people, again, they see faith as being something that's primarily an emotion. It's how I feel about God at the moment. We have this emotional sense, well, I believe God. I, I trust him. I feel a certain way. And um, and if that's what faith is, then what happens is we go through times when things are good and we feel full of confidence. We feel that we're, you know, that we really believe in God. And, and then there are times that we're in the middle of the storm and we doubt and we're scared to death. And anybody who thinks that this is what faith is, their faith rises and falls with with the level of, you know, is the sea calm or are there there waves and wind around us? True faith, as the Bible teaches teaches, is the reality of God's presence and his power, whether we see it or not. That reality is more real to us than what we see, even the times of the storm. It's what Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the ability to believe in the promises and the character of God, even when we don't see God working, even when we don't feel his presence, even when it feels as if God has abandoned us out in the storm. Now, we might say at times, but if I just saw God, you know, if he just answered my prayer, and, and then I would believe. Okay, what when you don't feel God, can you believe? What when, when you pray and it seems like he's not answering, can you believe him then? Let me ask you. When the, you go through those times when you don't see God, what's changed? Has God changed? Is God any less powerful? Is, any, is God any less in control? The only thing that's changed is our perception. And the question is are you going to believe Him when you don't see Him? Are you going to make the choice to believe what you know to be true over what you feel to be true? So let's go back to Matthew 14. Remember, right before Jesus sent these disciples out into the storm, he had just done this miracle of feeding 10,000 people with a few pita and a few fish. Now, do you think that when they saw that, that they had faith? Yes. Did that grow their faith? Yeah. I mean, if you see God work miraculously, that grows your faith, right? Now, what took more faith to sit there and watch Jesus feed 10,000 people with a few pita and a few fish or to go out in the storm and believe in God when they didn't see Jesus? See, faith is the ability not, it's one thing, it's easy to believe God. If, if God always act, if all I ever saw was God do miraculous things, I wouldn't need faith. I need faith when I don't see God working. When I'm out in the storm, that's when, when we have understanding what faith is, is. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of the things that God says, but that I do not see. It's the conviction of things not seen. When the unseen promises and character of God are more real to me, than what I see and feel. But how can we know this faith when we don't see God? You know, how, how can we do this when, when we're out in the storm and God seems absent? Well, one of the things this passage teaches us is that when we're in that time, we need to remember that God has also given us the foundation of what he's done in the past that is a foundation that helps us to believe him in the present. Now remember, we saw in verse 22 that the very first word in verse 22 is immediately he made the disciples get out of the boat or get into the boat. Immediately, he's tying very directly this story to what was before. And the wording here is important because what, what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus is sending the disciples out with a picture in the mind of what he has just done. They've just seen him do a miracle. They've just seen him defy nature to meet a need. And he wanted them to have that picture in mind when they're about to see, he's about to send them out in the storm. And the same thing's true for us. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that when we're in the middle of the storm, God wants us to be able to look back and to remember how he's cared for us, what he's done for us in the past, how he's provided. He wants us to find our hope and confidence in, in what he has done. And that's the source of faith and trust in what he will yet to do. How many of you have seen an ad where you've seen you know, some kind of financial you know, um, you know, stock or something and they have an ad and they tell you all about well here's what we've done and we've outperformed the market. We've done and, then, and, and they're, they're basically saying here's what we've done so invest with us. But then they always have the disclaimer. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Right? So basically invest in us but we're not promising you. You know you might lose all your money you know, it's not reliable. Well that may be true with people it may be true with financial investments but with God the opposite is true you know God actually tells us past performance is a guarantee of future results he calls us to look into his past performance in our life and to rely upon that as a as a confidence a source of confidence in what we're currently facing and how many of you all been through a crisis we all have right How many of us have been in this time when we feel like we're in the storm and we don't sense God, that we've prayed and we don't hear, you know, we don't have a sense of what God is saying and and we're worried, God, are you there? Are you gonna take care of me? Are are you, you know, what's your purpose? We feel like we're stranded. It felt as God would never meet your need. But now, you know, if this was in the past, you might be in the middle there now, but if this was in your past, you now look back and you say, man, I remember, that was a time of trial. God was there. He did provide. And boy, it's amazing how he grew me and how he stretched my faith and it was wonderful and I can see what he did then. And here's what he's saying, saying remember that. Past performance is a guarantee of future results. He has been there in the past. He was, there were times that you didn't see him, but he was always there. And know that, that now in the storm that you're at, he's there with you now. So he's growing us, but how does he do this? How how does God use these storms to grow our faith? Hebrews, again, 11 teaches us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the ability to believe the promises and character of God, the unseen truth about God, and that it's more real to us than the seen storms around us. Now, the fact is, is that if I always saw God working, again, I wouldn't need any faith. The fact of the matter is, is that if, you know, God was always providing you know, I would never have to trust in something that was unseen. And so what does God do? How does God grow our faith? He puts us in places where we don't see him. See, that's the only way to grow our faith. If faith is confidence in the unseen promises of God, the only way for us to learn to have faith is to be put in situations where he doesn't make sense, where we don't see his purpose. Look what Isaiah 43 says about this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When I look at that, I don't know about you, but I, I think right away, walk through the water. I'd, I'd rather not walk through the waters. I would rather walk around them. You know, God, help me find a bridge that's over troubled water. That's a great song. You know, that's, a, that's what I want you to do for me. You know, and, and you know, through... Through the fire, hey, let's just avoid the fire. Let's, let's no God to go nowhere close to the fire. That's what I would choose. But yet God takes us through the waters and through the rivers and through the fire. Why? Because he wants us to trust him in all situations. And it's only in those situations that we're beyond our own capacity will we learn to have that faith and trust. Okay, let's go back to Matthew 14. And let me ask you a question. The disciples, they're out that boat. They're stressed out. They're overwhelmed. They're worried. And then they see Jesus. And what changed? What changed? Now, part of it might say, well, before they were by themselves and they were out there and they were fighting because they thought that Jesus wasn't there. And then they see Jesus and suddenly he's there with them and it's all okay. All right. Was Jesus there before? Was God there? Was Jesus aware of what was going on? Was God's hand on them? You see, the only thing that changed was their awareness of God's presence. It wasn't God's presence. And that's the whole idea is that God is there with us. Can we believe when we do not see him? Can we have just as much confidence that he is there when I don't see him than when he's right there standing beside me? See, even if I understand this, it changes the way that we pray. I I, I don't know about you, but let me tell you what's natural for me. All right, when I go through a time of crisis, um, you know, right away, you know, I, st- I start to be overwhelmed by it. I start to become fearful. And my natural way to pray is that I come to God and I say, well, oh God, God, I've got to tell you about this. And I start telling him about my crisis. I start telling him all my concerns, just load, unloading on him. And God, I need you to fix this. And, and here's the problem. And, and, and please fix it for me. And what I realized is that in a sense, what I'm praying when I do that is God, I know that your mind was off of this and this bad thing happened. So here, come and let me inform you about the bad thing that happened and let me tell you how to fix it. All right. And that's because that's really in essence what I'm trying to do. If I really understand that God is the one who takes me in the storm, that's going to change the way that I pray. That I realize that this isn't a good thing, but it's something that God allowed for some purpose. I'm going to, what I'm learning to do is to start to pray, God, I don't like this, but, but there's some purpose here. What is the purpose? I want to learn. And, and I've learned to say, I want to learn quick because the faster I learn, the quicker you can get me out of the storm. <laughs> you know, I don't want to stay here real long. And, and so I don't want to go against you. I want to run towards it and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? And then get me out of the storm as quickly as you can. Now, even if I understand that though, when I'm in the storm, it still can be terrifying. The disciples were in that, they They were terrified. And we can face situations that are bigger than we are. How do we overcome that? And this passage teaches us that we overcome wrong fear with right fear. Now, you might say, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's go back to Matthew 14. Start again in verse 23. Jesus had sent the disciples ahead of them in the boat. And then uh, he sent them into the storm. Then we read in verse 23, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. So he sent them out. A storm comes up, which is really common in that area. That, you know, a storm comes out of nowhere. And, and then we read in verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now the Romans divided the watches of the night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. into four watches, four three-hour watches. So that means the fourth hour is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they've been out there all night. They've been out there you know, probably minimum nine, 10 hours. And Jesus didn't come immediately. And so it's in you know, the middle of the darkness of the night and then he comes walking to them on the sea. Then we read, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said it is a ghost and they cried out in fear. Now before you respond to them that much, okay, imagine you're out in the middle of the, of the sea. You've got this you have storm going around you. So every there's cloud cover. there's no light out there and you've got these wind and these waves. These guys have been up all night. They're, you know, they're emotionally stretched, and suddenly they see somebody on the sea walking. Now, that's not normal, and if you think you see somebody, it's like, is it a person? That couldn't be a person, and they're terrified. They don't know what to think, and then we're told immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, the words here Translated, it is I are the very heart of the story, the center of the story, literally and figuratively. In fact, it's interesting if you look at the original Greek in this, in this story, there are 90 words before this, there are 90 words after this. It's, it's in a sense Matthew putting a big highlighter around it and saying, notice this. Our English translations have Jesus saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's not actually what he said. The actual Greek in the Bible literally translated would be take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Now, our English translations don't translate it this way because if you don't know the significance of the I am, it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't read right. It doesn't make sense. What's interesting is it didn't read right then either. Jesus didn't say, it's me. He just, he says, you know, do not, take heart. I am, do not be afraid. And you Now he said something very unusual because it made a point. When he says I am, he literally is taking the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, the name that God gave himself in Exodus three that is used throughout the Old Testament. If you go back to Exodus chapter three, you have God uh, sending Moses back to, um, as his representative back to Egypt. And and Moses is hearing this and he says to, to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And look at God's response. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel I am has sent you to me. Now that was a name of God that is used throughout the Bible. And so when they see the disciples, disciples see this thing walking there and they, and they don't know what it is, Jesus said, Take heart. And he says, I am. And they knew that it was not only Jesus, but he at that moment saying, I am God, I am the creator of all things. I am the one who is in control of, of the storm. You have no reason to be fear. Let me ask you, why do we feel fear in life? Why do we feel anxiety, any kind of fear? Why do we fear the storm or the, the doctor or the, any crisis, any threat? I think it's because we realize that we're not in control. That we want to be in control and suddenly we realize that we're not in control and we become fearful because because we realize how out of control we are so what's the solution i think the most common human solution is that we say well what we try to do is we try to work to try to maximize our control how do i get control i need to control as many things as i possibly can you know in essence i need to build a bigger boat but there will always be things outside of our control there will always be a storm that is bigger than whatever boat that we build and so the answer is not getting control. That will never work. The only real answer is to realize that God is in control. He controls the storm and to, in a sense, put ourselves under his security, under his protection. In Psalm 34, David was going through a period of, of incredible fear, so much so that he responded in panic. He literally pretended to be insane because he was so fearful and look what he says was the antidote for his fear how he got over it how he overcame it psalm 34 the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them oh taste and see that the word is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him oh fear the lord you O oh, his saints for those who fear him have no lack what is he calling us to do to fear god He's saying the antidote for fear from our, our enemies and our crisis is to have a proper fear of God. A right fear in God will defeat any other fear in anything else. So what does it mean to have a right fear in God? Again, that doesn't does mean to be afraid of God? Well, no, that's not what it means. To have a right fear of God means that we see ourselves in proper relationship with God. We realize that he is God and we're not. That he knows all things and We don't understand much. He's all powerful and we're weak and dependent. It means that we recognize that we can't figure things out on our own. It means that we see his greatness and our smallness in relationship to him. Now, here's why it's important that a right fear in God delivers us from all the other fears. Because either we will fear God or we will fear our circumstances. Either we will trust ourselves and we will trust in our own strength and our own ideas and then we will be overwhelmed when our circumstances are bigger than we are or we will fear the Lord and we will put our trust in him and realize there's nothing bigger than him. You see, sooner or later, we're going to realize that we don't control life, that we face enemies, we face trials, we face crisis that are bigger than we are. And at that time, either we're going to be overwhelmed by that storm that we face that are bigger than, that's bigger than we are, but we're going to be overwhelmed by how much greater God's power is than whatever storm we may face. Now that's the difference that when we see here with Peter, at the time when he was out walking, and, and it was that, that fear of God, that confidence in God and, and what he lost when he began to sink. In verse 27, we're told that Jesus is walking on water and, and he, the disciples are terrified and Jesus speaks to them and says, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. And he, Peter knows, hears this and he knows it's not only Jesus, but Jesus is claiming to be Almighty God. He sees him walking on water. He knows the, he's the one who's created these things in total control over nature. And he's so overwhelmed by this that he responds, you know, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you and walk on the water. Jesus, you're my ultimate reality. And Jesus says, comes, and he gets out there, and he begins walking towards Jesus. His focus was on Jesus, but then he begins walking, and we read in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You know, maybe he's felt the splash of the wave, he felt the whip of the wind, but, but his eyes came off of Jesus, and suddenly he was overwhelmed by how big the storm was. So the question that Peter faced, that we all face, is what is the focus of our faith? So Peter looked at that, and at one point it was the focus is Jesus. That's the ultimate reality. That's what I believe. And next thing you know, he's like, no, my focus is the wind. It's the waves. It's... What is the focus of our faith? Is it the great I am or the storm? The storm is real. It's not to downplay the significance. But God is also real. What is more real to us? You see, it's not only what is the focus of our faith, what is the defining reality? When I say that, what I'm saying is what is more real to you? Is, is, it, is God more real in his power, in his presence? Is that the defining reality that shapes your thoughts? Or is it the storm? What is faith? Faith is a confidence of the things hoped for. It's when God is our ultimate reality. But let me give you just an essential truth to remember. This is something taught throughout the Bible. It's, you know, most clearly, I I love it in the Psalms. It's just a truth to remember. You will be overwhelmed by your problems or you will be overwhelmed by God. You cannot be overwhelmed by both at the same time. Now, when we realize that, we have to realize it's completely natural for us to be overwhelmed by our problems, be overwhelmed by the circumstance. Peter's natural state was to be overwhelmed by the storm. When we're in the middle of the crisis, the natural state is for us to be overwhelmed by our problems. You don't choose to be overwhelmed by your problems. Our only choice is that we will choose to be overwhelmed by God. But if I'm overwhelmed by God so that he is my defining reality, he is the I am, that he is more real to me than the storm. If I'm overwhelmed by God, I cannot be overwhelmed by the storm. I cannot be overwhelmed by both at the same time. So we all struggle with this. The fact of the matter is that we all have been out. We've all begun to sink. And so what's some encouragement for those of us who are sinkers in the middle of the storm? See, it's natural for us in that crisis to allow the storm to, pre- to define our perception of reality. It's natural for us to take our eyes off Jesus. And the key thing is we've got to realize even if we have a strong faith that God is going to grow our faith and he's going to send us a faith, a storm that is bigger. And so we're going to experience it. And we all do that the thing is we need to realize is that the vital thing is the focus of our faith. People often talk about, well, you just need more faith. And it's almost like the faith. If you have enough faith that will save you. And if you don't have enough faith, well, if you have problems, you just don't believe enough. And a lot of times we, we make it about faith. You don't need a lot of faith. You just need a tiny bit of faith in a really, really big God. The key issue is not your faith. It's the object in your faith. It's it's whom we whom we're walking towards See, we will face storms that are bigger than our faith. We will never face a storm that is bigger than our Lord. That's what we need to realize. Let's go back to Peter. Okay, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink. Did he die? No. Did he go to the bottom? No. Why? Well, his faith failed. Why didn't he die? Because when his faith has failed and he's going between the waves, his faith is insufficient. But his Lord wasn't. And all he had was enough faith to be able to say, Jesus save me, and he throws his hand out there, and Jesus says, that's all you need. Because while your faith is sinking, I am not. And my friends, what we need to realize is that's what's true in our own lives. There are times that you feel like, God, I don't believe, I, I'm, I'm doubting, I'm, and that's okay. You don't need to have strong faith. It's not about your faith. It's about the one whom you have faith in. He will never let you down. And all you have is is in desperation, Jesus, save me. He will take your hand. And he will never sink and nor allow you to sink if you rely upon him. But okay, then when we all fail, then what do we do? When When we begin to sink, what's that mean? Well, don't beat yourself up with that because even that fear that you have, it isn't a failure. It's an invitation to greater faith. Again, if you remember back, we talked in James 1 about why does God allow trials? Because it's a trial that grows our faith. Well, then it says in that same context, James 1.5, speaking about trials, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And he's saying in this context, wisdom in, in the context of trial, wisdom is the ability to take what we know about God and to apply it to our lives. Now, what is wisdom in the midst of trial? The lack of wisdom. Wisdom is, the lack is saying, God, I know you're good. I know you have a good plan. I know that you're sovereign. I know you love me, but I just don't see it. I don't feel it. God, I don't sense your presence. I don't know where you're here. And what James is saying is literally, if any of you lack, it's like, if you lack what you will, it's almost like win. Again, it's not that we all this will happen. And he's saying, ask God and he gives generously without reproach. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't he doesn't, you know, man, I'm disappointed. See, sooner or later, we're all gonna face storms bigger than us. Now let's go back to Peter. Uh, many people see this as an example of Peter's failure. Let me ask you, after this happened, did Peter have a bigger faith in Jesus because of this event or a smaller faith? Was a failure that his faith was crushed Or was it that Jesus put him in a situation that was a storm bigger and as a result, it grew his faith? So again, we know that this grew his faith. See, Jesus put him in the storm to put, to grow that faith. Let me ask you another question. Do you think that Jesus was disappointed in Peter when he began to sink? Do you think that Jesus looked at Peter and was like, man, Peter, I thought you, I thought you were the rock. Man, I thought you were going to make it. Man, you disappointed me and Then you, you know, he made me look bad in front of the other disciples. I mean, come on, Peter, of course not. I mean, you're looking at that and and Jesus was gracious. All right, there are some of you here today who feel that God is looking at you and saying, I expected better. You think that God is looking at you and saying, you're doubting and I I thought you were the rock. The only one surprised by Peter's response here was Peter. It wasn't God. And the only one surprised by your struggles is you. It's not God. God understands. And he's gracious. And what he's saying is your fear isn't a failure. It's an invitation to say, okay, no, I put you in a situation where you don't see me. This is so that you can learn to trust in me in a new way. Don't run away from me. Don't feel guilty. Don't deny it. Run towards it and realize that God's looking at that and saying, yes, I'm proud of your faith, I'm proud of where you're at, but, but I wanna grow a bigger faith than what you have. And that means taking you through these storms that you won't see me and understand because at the end you will know me in a deeper way and it's worth it to me because I love you in that way. So what can we learn? How do we, how do we in the midst of this, keep our focus on Jesus? How do we say that, that okay, we're gonna go through storms, Now I'll tell you, Part of that is how do we do it in the storm? But I'm going to encourage you, we should try to do it before the storm. We should try to say, how do I learn to be able to focus on Jesus? So when the storm comes, I've developed that faith. If you don't think about this until the storm comes, it's going to be a whole lot harder. So it's before the storm and during the storm, what do we do? Well, first of all, God calls us to God's focused prayer. Again, now we're talking about fear here. We're talking about situations that are bigger than we are. Another word for fear would be anxiety. Well, let's go to Philippians 4 and, and see what it says about fear and anxiety and what we're called to do. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, what we often read is don't be anxious about anything, but in everything bring a request to God. That's not what it says. All right. It's it tells us to bring our request, but how were we to bring our request? with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Supplication's in there, that's what we think of, but it's surrounded by prayer and thanksgiving. What is prayer and thanksgiving? It's praise, praise for who God is, and thankfulness for what he's done. Now here's the problem, is a lot of times we come to God, and God, I've got this problem, here's my need, here I'm in the middle of the storm, and I spend all my time talking about the storm, God help me in the midst of it. What's my defining reality? What is my primary focus? The storm. I'm, I'm, that's my, that, I'm totally focused on the storm and I'm trying to find God through the storm. And God says, no, in the midst of that, I want you to make your primary reality me, I am. Take your eyes off the storm, focus on me. How do I do that? by praising him for who he is, by thanking him for what he's done. And so I come and I say, God, man, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this storm, but God, help me to remember who you are. Help me to focus on you. Help me to remember you're the creator, that you're the one that loves me. Help me to remember all that you've done for me in the past. And as I'm making you my primary focus, then I come and I bring my concerns. And suddenly it changes everything. When I make that my focus, what I realize is that I'm not anxious, but instead... The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That God gives me a peace that that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense. A part of this is this prayer, but if I'm gonna take one part of it and, and, and expand it, not only to what we pray, but something that is so vital, is how do we make God our defining reality? We do it through praise. That we praise him. That we say, okay, when, he's, when Jesus spoke, I am. Okay, I need to remember that he is. I need to spend time praising him. And, 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 and when I'm in the middle of the storm, see, that's my defining reality. When I take my eyes off of that and I say, okay, God, help me to see you. And if I'm not in the storm, God, help me to see you. Help me to become so focused on you so that when the storm comes that you're defining reality. And only when God is more real to me than, than the problems, You see, then will I find the strength that overcomes fear. I lift my eyes away from the problem and I focus on God. And again, it's natural for us to be focused on the problem. This is an intentional decision. Again, let me remind you of the simple simple truth. And if you take something home, you know, this is a truth that you can remember. You will be overwhelmed by your problems or you will be overwhelmed by God. You cannot be overwhelmed by both at the same time. You will never decide to be overwhelmed by your problems. You have to decide to be overwhelmed by God. That's the importance of praise. That's the importance of worship. In the middle of a crisis, I'm going to listen to praise and worship music. You know, let let it just, it's a battle for your heart and mind that you fight. God, help me to believe these things to be true about you. Because if I choose to be overwhelmed by God, I will not be overwhelmed by my problems at the same time. It's impossible. One is the defining reality. You've gotta choose which one. We're gonna close in prayer and then close in song, but I just wanna encourage you that I know that there are some here that you're you're in the middle of the prayer, at storm. And you're there and you might be crying, crying out, and God, I don't know how to believe. And you might, you might feel like, man, I failed and I'm sinking. And, and if all you have is enough faith to say, God, help me. To hold out your hand. And it's not, it's your faith isn't gonna keep you afloat. It's just a t- faith of a mustard seed and a God that never fails. There may be some here, you know people, you know, that you're seeing that you, you know, in your small group or people that you've talked to that are in the middle of a crisis, that are going through things. And, and it might be after the service, it's even, it's like, hey, it might be, and if you need to come down here and pray or going, you know, after the service coming, hey, can I pray with you? Can I help you to be able to find Jesus Christ, to find his strength, to focus on him in whatever storm that you're facing? The beautiful thing is that even if we're here today and we feel like we've been Peter and we're sinking, Jesus doesn't look at us, he's not disappointed, he doesn't shake our head, he doesn't reject us. But he says, if all you have is reaching out while you're going under, that's enough. Call out to me, focus on me. Let me be the defining reality and and discover this faith that is bigger than any fear. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, community church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.